morning, TLC. So last week we opened up our series on the Holy Spirit and we learned a couple of things, right? We learned about what Holy Spirit is, a source of spiritual water or life, and who Holy Spirit is, a he, not in the sense of being male, but in the sense of being a person, which led us to the question, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Are we as a church hungry for all of what Holy Spirit has to offer to us today? So what I want to do before we dive in this morning is just simply take 10 seconds, and I just want you to just sit with God and say, uh, Spirit, I'm here. If you've got something you need to say to me, I'm open and available for you to speak. So just do that right now. Just take 10 seconds, close your eyes, and just talk to the Holy Spirit. Spirit, we want to experience your power this morning. We give you free reign. Amen. Gordon Fee gives a great, very simple definition of the Holy Spirit. Three words. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. God's empowering presence. If you're a note taker, a great note to take. God's empowering presence. That's what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. Today, we're going to talk about the power side. Next week, we're going to talk about the presence side. I know that these first couple of weeks feel pretty heavy biblically, theologically. Um, It's not an accident. We're setting a foundation for what God wants to do and how he's going to grow our understanding, our engagement with Holy Spirit's power, but that comes when we rightly understand what the Bible says about him. And so today we want to talk about that concept of power. Have you ever felt powerless? Me, um, I grew up always wanting to be mechanical, all right? I don't know what it was. I just always wanted to be able to fix things, and I'm terrible at it, okay? Uh, I remember as a kid, I'd take apart toys that were broken, hoping I could fix them. Now, they just got more broken, okay? As an adult, I tried to, like, fix my motorcycles that I had. Like, they were running a little rough, and by the time I was done, like, I had to, like, put it on a trailer and take it to a mechanic. Like, like I'm not good at mechanical things. I always wanted to be. I just don't get it. I don't understand how, like, the combustible engine works. I don't get how carburetors do what they do, and certainly all the newfangled stuff that's on new. Like, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me, all right? Jet skis are notorious for breaking down. Jet skis are notorious for having bad engines and engines getting blown on them, okay? So, uh, and needing mechanical work. If we were going to put this into like an equation, it would be like this. A plus B equals C, all right? A would be torn has no mechanical ability. Plus B, jet skis often require mechanical work. Now solve for C, okay? It should be easy. It's a bad idea for Torin to buy a jet ski, all right? That should be easy. But the problem is, is uh, I'm really bad at algebra, too, not just mechanical stuff, algebra as well. And so I solved for C and said, uh, I should just go ahead and buy it and assume nothing bad will ever happen. That's why I actually also flunked ninth grade algebra. 
True story. So I went and I bought a jet ski. Drove out to Muskegon. Really had no idea what I was doing or looking for. It was sitting on a trailer. I asked the guy if we could start it real briefly. He said, sure. It started up. To my mechanical ear, it sounded great. I got the thing home, and before I ever even had the chance to put it in the water and try it out, I learned from a friend that the engine was destroyed and was going to need a complete rebuild from top to bottom. Hang on to this dead jet ski story. We'll come back to it a little bit later. But maybe you're saying, all right, what in the world does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? All right, I'm so glad that you asked. What we're going to do this morning is take a little walk through uh, the book of Luke and then just dabble just really, really briefly in the book of Acts. Luke wrote these two books, the Gospel of Luke, which is basically the life, uh, the birth and life of Jesus. And then the follow-up to that bestseller was the book of Acts, which is really the birth and early life of the church, okay? So you've got Jesus' life, or his birth and his life, uh, obviously his death and resurrection as well in there. Uh, But then Jesus then starts the church, which is intended to carry on his life and work. In fact, it's in the church that the kingdom of God actually comes to earth, and the church becomes the hands and feet of Jesus to extend that kingdom out into the world around us. Luke chapter 1, we're going to start at Jesus' birth. Right? It's Christmas just a couple of weeks ago. We're going to dive back a little bit here and learn a little bit about what happened to Mary, Jesus' mother. Now, in this passage, we're going to start reading in verse 30, but an angel has come to Mary. She's a little bit freaked out, right? Because that is not a normal occurrence. And this is what we read. But the angel, asked, uh, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? You think it's difficult fixing a jet ski? Try getting pregnant 2,000 years ago without having sex. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Verse 35 shows us that the Holy Spirit is going to come on Mary, and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow her, uh, overtake her, if you will. All right? Uh, Mary doesn't have the power necessary to do what is required but the Holy Spirit does. Flip over with me now to chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. We talked a little bit about this last week in John's Gospel. Now we're going to read about it in Luke's Gospel. This is Jesus' baptism, okay? When all the people were being baptized, this is 3.21, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. All right, so Holy Spirit comes down on Mary, all right, gives her the power to do what she cannot do. Jesus gets baptized, Holy Spirit comes down 
on Jesus, all right? And then we're going to find out, as soon as this happened, the Holy Spirit then leads Jesus out into the wilderness. We see this in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Okay? So, Holy Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness. The Spirit has come on Jesus. There's this time of testing that happens over 40 days where he's growing in his intimacy with the Father and also having to battle against these temptations. And then he comes out of that 40 days to begin his public ministry. All right, that's what we read in chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in what? In the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Jesus goes to church like you and I. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Now, unrolling it. Jesus doesn't start at the beginning of Isaiah. He unrolls all the way down to chapter 61. It's on purpose. It's not an accident. Because in chapter 61, there is a prophecy about the Messiah, the one who would be sent by God, anointed by God to do a special work, God's son, the one whom the kingdom of God would finally come and take up residence on earth. Keep reading. The spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Jesus reading from Isaiah 61. Because he has anointed me. That word anointed is Messiah. Messiah just means anointed one, okay? To proclaim, these are the things that the anointed one, the Messiah, is supposed to do. Proclaim good news to the poor. Send me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's teaching. There's healing, right? There's deliverance taking place here. Jesus is like, this is what I've come to do. Jesus then goes on and says, today in Your presence, these words have been fulfilled. In other words, I am him. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who's bringing God's kingdom from heaven to earth. And it is going to expand through me. Okay? So all of this is really important for us to recognize how Jesus is doing it. All right? Luke tells us right at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry that Jesus comes in the power of the Spirit, okay? Now, if we were to keep reading in Luke, you're going to see all these crazy miracles that Jesus does. Amazing, cool things that Jesus is doing. He drives out an impure spirit right away. He heals many right after that. Calls some disciples, heals a man with leprosy, forgives and heals a paralyzed man, all right? Uh, Eats with sinners, Uh, He answers questions, he teaches, uh, all kinds of different things that Jesus begins to do. All these miracles that he's performing, these powerful teachings that he's doing, a deliverance from demons, from oppression, uh, 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 forgiving people of their sins, healing. Like There's all these powerful things that he does. And Luke wants us to understand that this is all happening in the power of the Spirit. Okay? 
He is the anointed one. Now, uh, what I'd like to do, though, is just a quick little theology lesson for us, all right? Uh, For some of you, this might blow our minds just a little bit, and that's okay, Uh, but this is going to be really valuable for us. Let me start with a question. Do the miracles Jesus performs prove that he is God? Do the miracles that Jesus performs prove that he is God? Kind of, but no. Now, if you grew up in the church like I did, you probably assume I was going to say, yes, absolutely, the miracles prove that Jesus was God. But that's not actually biblically true. Part of that actually becomes that, uh, comes because we live post-enlightenment. Okay. Now, hear me clearly, I'm not saying that Jesus wasn't fully God. He was, all right? However, in this particular case, Jesus' use of miracles does not prove that he is God. You see, uh, before the Enlightenment happened, the idea that miracles could happen was like a normal thing. People just believed it. It wasn't a big deal. Supernatural was like a pretty normal, because we didn't know how to describe everything. Then once the Enlightenment happened and we began to learn about science and some of the different scientific uh, uh, theories that, that showed themselves to be true. It was almost like some of the mystery had gone away and we started to say, oh, we don't really need God. God's not actually true. God doesn't actually do these things, right? And, and Jesus didn't actually do these things. Now, for a Christian, that's like a big deal, right? Because we're like, whoa, don't mess with Jesus. And rightfully so. So we started to say, no, 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 look, we have all these natural laws and anytime that something outside of natural laws happens, we call that what? Supernatural, Right? And we would say, well, look, Jesus does these things that are outside of the natural laws, right? Dead people don't come back to life. Jesus does supernatural things, these miracles. Therefore, that makes Jesus God. Here's the problem with that. There's a few problems, but this is probably the main one. Lots of people have done miracles. Uh, A number, a few hundred years before Jesus ever comes on the scene, Elijah does almost every single miracle that Jesus does, or at least a miracle that's analogous to it. Okay, Uh, Elijah multiplies food miraculously, just like Jesus. Uh, Elijah does uh, weather miracles. All right, he makes it so that there's no rain, and then he brings rain back. Uh, Jesus calms a storm. Uh, Jesus walks on water. Elijah stops the Jordan River flowing so that he can walk through on dry ground. Both Jesus and Elijah raise dead people back to life. Now, none of us think that Elijah is God in the flesh, right? None of us think that Elijah was God's son. We think that Elijah was a powerful prophet, all right? That because the Holy Spirit had come on him, was able to uh, partner with Holy Spirit to do these things, right? Not because Elijah was God's son. The same thing is in some ways true of Jesus. Now, again, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying Jesus wasn't fully God, 100% fully God the entire time. But we learn in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus, when he left heaven to come to earth, he emptied himself. The the Greek word is kenosis. He empties himself, which basically means that he lays down his God card, so to speak. Okay. Ephesians 2 talks about this. He's still completely God, but he lays down his power and privilege. He sets that aside so that he can be fully human. All right? It doesn't mean that he's not God during that time. He is 100%, but he sets his God card aside. How do we know this? Well, let's ask a few questions, right? Some things that we probably assumed. Uh, was Jesus omnipotent? 
means all-powerful? The answer is, during his earthly life, no. You ever think about this? All right, like I'm a decent basketball player, okay? Think about something that you're kind of good at, all right? I'm old now, and my back's bad, so I'm not a very good basketball player anymore. But when I was younger, I was a decent basketball player. Could I beat Jesus in a one-on-one game? Heck yeah, I would destroy him. Are you kidding me? All right, Jesus never played basketball. He wouldn't even know how to dribble, all right? Look, Jesus got tired. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got emotionally worn down. Jesus even died. All right, what could be more human than that? Was Jesus omnipresent? This one's kind of easy, right? Omnipresent means everywhere at all times. No, Jesus wasn't omnipresent. Jesus actually was uh, um, at times, or not at times, Jesus was always one man in one place, okay? In fact, that's why Jesus says to the disciples, it's going to be way better for you if I leave. They're like, no, it won't. (laughs) No, you need to stay. And he's like, no, if I go, it's going to be better. Because if I go, I'll send the advocate, the spirit, who will be with you everywhere. You get me, but you get me all the time, indwelling you. All right? Is Jesus omniscient, all-knowing? This one's a little interesting, because a lot of folks are like, well, yeah. Right? Because Jesus did know some stuff sometimes, right? He knew what people were thinking. He would ask questions that he already knew the answer to. But the answer is, when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry, he didn't know everything. Holy Spirit would sometimes give him insight into what people were thinking, things that were going to happen, but he didn't know everything. We see this in Mark chapter 4, when he says uh, to the woman who's walking, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 5, he's walking and uh, a woman comes up and touches him. And Jesus says, who was it that touched me? Jesus didn't know. Finally, the woman comes forward and says, it was me. Jesus said, I felt the power go out. She was healed. Mark chapter 9, a man comes and says, would you heal my son? And Jesus says, how long has he been like this? Jesus didn't know. Matthew 24, Jesus says to the disciples, nobody knows the day or the hour. Not even the angels in heaven, not even the son, referring to himself, but only the father. Jesus had laid aside his God card, the privileges and powers uh, that he has as God, so that he could be fully human. So how did Jesus do what he did then, right? How does he do these miracles? Luke wants to make it very clear to us that Jesus does it in the power of the Spirit. Uh, John Mark Comer says this. He says, when Jesus does miracles, it's not so much proof that Jesus is God, although there is some truth to this, as much as it's a sign that the long-awaited kingdom of God is here and Jesus is king of it all. So when we read the miracle stories, think, This is what a human being walking in the power of the Spirit of God looks like. Jesus is the prototype for all of his followers. Jesus is the prototype for you and I. We're supposed to look at Jesus and say, that's how I'm supposed to act. That's how I'm supposed to live. That's what I'm supposed to do. You're like, oh, man, but that's Jesus. Yes, yes, and Jesus was God, okay? There's no, there's no getting around that, all right? Jesus was God, but Jesus sets aside that God card so that he can show us what it looks like as human beings, how to live 
with God, in community with Him. Partnering with the power of the Holy Spirit. You're like, yeah, I don't know, man, because Jesus did some like crazy cool things. I've never resurrected anybody. Flip over with me to John chapter 14, okay? John chapter 14, we're going to jump out of Luke just for a second here. John chapter 14, we're going to start reading in verse 12. Uh, Jesus is actually talking to the disciples about the fact that he's about to leave, all right? And that it's a good thing because he's going to be able to send the Holy Spirit to them, all right? They're not happy. They're really sad because the thought of Jesus leaving is a big deal. Look what Jesus says to them. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, all right? So that's not just the disciples. That's you and I, assuming you believe in Jesus the way I do. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Do the works that I have been doing. What things has Jesus been doing? Healing the sick, performing miracles, teaching with power, taking risks to rescue people, right? He's been encouraging folks. He's been stepping into broken places to bring life. Like, this is all the stuff that Jesus is doing, all right? Then he goes on and he says, not only will they do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father... Uh, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, um, I don't think it's going to be in this particular series, but after spending some time studying this and this passage specifically, uh, I think some, at some point I need to take a week and just teach this passage. Because this passage can be kind of confusing or disappointing, right? I mean, all week long I've been saying, in the name of Jesus, a Lamborghini! No Lamborghini, right? And not a single one coming. I'm like, man, like I said in the name of Jesus, though, right? He said anything I asked for in the name of Jesus. Well, we know that that's probably not exactly what he's talking about. What, what is he talking about? What if I pray for someone to be healed of COVID who's 40 years old and has a young family? If I pray in the name of Jesus, what happens if God doesn't heal him? What do I do then? This is why I think that I'd like to spend some time, I don't have time today, but I'd like to spend some time in this passage talking about what, is it actually, what does that actually mean? Here's what I do want to say, though. In this passage, Jesus says that his followers, those that believe in him, are going to do the works that he did, okay? Not only that, but greater things. I'm not sure what greater, th- like, I don't know how you one-up resurrection, okay? Like, I'm not sure how to do that, all right? Maybe, like, resurrection, and a Lamborghini. Like, I don't know, maybe that's what, I don't know. But, I like, what are greater things? Well, scholars kind of debate over, like, what greater things means, all right? Probably the best understanding, although we're still really not 100% sure, is the fact that uh, when the Spirit comes, he indwells a whole bunch of Jesus followers. And so Jesus can only be one guy doing those things in that one body. But when Spirit comes and indwells all of us, we're doing it all over the place. Okay, so greater things. Other scholars say uh, it might be pointing to the, to the idea not that they're like actually like uh, better things, but we're doing more of them. So like Jesus, I don't know, four, maybe 500 people, he leads to faith in himself. Okay, that's quite a bit. All right. Peter, in Acts chapter 2, 
leads 3,000 people to faith in Christ, all right? Totally crushes Jesus' record. I mean, obliterates Jesus, all right? That, some scholars think that's kind of what is being referred to here, all right? It's greater in number, not necessarily greater in, like, type. We're not 100% sure. What all scholars, though, are unified on is that when Jesus says we will do greater things, he doesn't mean lesser. When Jesus says that we will do greater things, he doesn't mean that we will do lesser. Now, what I'd like to do, if it's true that Jesus gets his power from the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is the prototype for you and I, we're supposed to do the things that he does, even greater things, how do we access the same level of power, right? It's a fair question. It's a good question. It's a question we should have an answer to. What I'd like to do is I'd like to give us an equation in just a second. Because what I've learned is that how we live and the level of power we experience in our lives is absolutely related. Okay? Let me say that again. How we live and the level of power we experience in our lives is absolutely related. So let me give you an equation for power. Holiness plus faith times experience or intimacy with God equals power. So let me take those three pieces, holiness, faith, and intimacy with God, and let me break those down real quickly, and then I'd like to finish with a story that I hope kind of pulls it all together. Cool? Holiness. Now, let's be honest. This is a word that we just don't talk about a whole lot anymore, right? Makes sense that since Jesus called Spirit Holy Spirit, that holiness might have something to do with this. Uh, let me give you a definition of holiness because I think a lot of times it conjures up all kinds of interesting things in our head, some good, some bad. Holiness means to be set apart by God for his special purposes, all right? Set apart by God for special things, all right? God says, I have set you apart. You are holy. I've set you aside to do special things. Now, that means that we are set apart from some things, and we are set apart for some things. When we think of holiness, we usually think of, like, weird people, right? Folks that are like, oh, man, I can't be like that. Like, that, that chick, she's crazy, all right? The stuff she's he's like, man, he's way too intense, all right? But it's true. There are some things that we are set apart from. Right? Sin. Right? Evil. Actions that lead towards death. God wants us to be set apart from that stuff, but he also wants us to be set apart for things, right? Good works. Praise, service, fulfilling your purpose. There is a symbiotic relationship between our holiness and the amount of power that we possess. It's just a reality. Right? So every chance or excuse me, every temptation becomes a chance for us to actually grow our power. Uh, it's wintertime right now, which means all of us are, for the most part, sitting on our couch doing nothing, right? Eating lots and lots of heavy foods, all right? But one day, I promise you, it will come. Spring will happen in Michigan, right? The sun will come out again. It's still there, I promise you. I know you haven't seen it in weeks, but it is there, and it will come out, and we will think to ourselves, I should go for a run, right? Which is fantastic. And you're going to go and find your shoes that you haven't used in about eight months, right? And you'll, like, blow the dust off of them, right? You'll lace them up, and you go for a run. And us dudes will be out, and we'll be jogging, and we'll look up, and coming down the street 
is, Miss, I've been working out all winter long, and I'm happy to show you with my tight little shorts and my sports bra, and temptation knocks on your front door, and what you get to do is notice for the very first time in your life how unbelievable shoelaces are. I've never noticed they do this and they hold things together and they're so amazing. Maybe it's uh, an opportunity at work this next week because your boss is a straight up idiot. And you just want to tell everybody because they drive you crazy. And you just want to let everybody know. And your boss comes in and he does something dumb again, right? And he leaves. And all you want to do is like, oh, my goodness. You want to start gossiping, telling everybody about how dumb, da 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 But instead, you shut your mouth. And while everybody else is snickering, you go back to your cubicle and you begin to pray blessings over your boss. It's like a video game. You just grew in power. Right? Maybe it's forgiveness. Somebody hurt you. Like literally did something so cruel, so mean, took advantage of you, broke your heart, betrayed you. And there's this little seed that sits in your gut that every time you see them, or a picture of them, or somebody mentions their name, that seed wants to just break open and begin to flood your entire being with hatred and disdain and contempt. But the next time you hear their voice, you're going to take that little seed and you're going to pluck it out and not allow it to break open, and you're going to begin to pray God's blessing because you have forgiven them and have decided to hold them faultless for what they've done. And you're going to grow in power. You see, every temptation that we have is an opportunity for us to grow in our holiness, which is growing in our power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is faith, which is willingness to trust that what God says is actually true. Holiness plus faith actually grows our ability to experience God's power. All right. In a number of the healing stories, we actually uh, see Jesus comment on people's faith. Right? Go, your faith has made you well. Or when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, or I've not found anyone in all Israel with such faith. Jesus comments on faith all the time. Why? Because there is a symbiotic relationship between what we believe God can do and what God will do. There is a symbiotic relationship between what God can do and what God will do. Listen to this quote from Dr. Jordan Singh. He says, God's main goal is to encourage us to trust his love. Oh, friends, grab a hold of that. That is big time right there. Trust his love. So it makes perfect sense that he would arrange things so that power flows most easily through those who fully trust his compassionate generosity in providing it. God's desire is that you would know that what he calls you to, what he's called you from, what he's called you for, is out of his great love for you, and he wants you to trust his love. He wants you to trust that what he actually has for you is best. Now, John Mark Comer says this, the best way to grow in trust is to risk. Mm. It is tough, though, right? Some of us, we like risk, like, uh uh-uh, nah, I'm good, right? Like, I set up my life, I like how it runs, it's really good, like, I don't want to mess anything up. 
I uh, it's probably about six or seven, seven years ago now, maybe, maybe eight years ago. I was a brand new teaching pastor uh, at, a, at a, a pretty large church out in Holland. I hadn't been there very long. Um, I was trying to listen to the Spirit, trying to get better at just paying attention, okay? We're in a worship service. I'm sitting kind of like over in this area, okay, a little bit further back. And uh, I was just me at the time, and I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting next to a couple, um, husband and a wife, and she's pregnant. Like, like not like, probably shouldn't say anything because you're not sure if it's like really that or, you know. No, she was like, it was like for sure pregnant. We're worshiping. I don't even think I had said hi to them. They totally didn't know who I was because I was pretty new, and I, I'd never met them. We're worshiping. It's the last song, okay, because I know how many songs there's going to be. I'm supposed to go up and preach right after the song. Last song, and all of a sudden I hear, I mean, like inside, not outside in my ear, but like inside I feel like Holy Spirit says, tell her everything is going to be okay. And I'm like, no. <laughs> like I, I'm not telling a pregnant lady that I don't know everything's going to be okay. And Holy Spirit says to me, I want you to tell her that I said everything's going to be okay. And I'm like, man, you can't ask me to do, I don't know, like I don't want to take that kind of a risk. She's going to freak out. What does that mean? What does that mean that she's going to lose the baby? But God's going to be with her? Does that mean that something's going to happen, but God's going to, God's going to walk with Does that mean that Something's coming, but it's going to be, I don't know what it means. God doesn't tell me anything more. And I'm just like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to take the risk. Finally, one more time. It's literally like the last, it's like the last almost slide, okay? Holy Spirit says, tell her, I see her and everything's going to be okay. She's still singing the last couple of words or whatever. I tap her on the shoulder. She kind of looks at me, right? Because that's a weird thing for somebody to tap you on the shoulder while you're supposed to be worshiping. And she kind of looks at me, and I kind of lean in, and she kind of leans over, and I said, ah, this might sound weird, but God wanted me to tell you that he sees you, and everything's going to be okay. And she turned and looked at me, and her eyes got really, really big, right? Because all the things I was wondering, now she's wondering, well, what does that mean? And then the song ends, and I walk up on stage to preach. <laughs> okay? I didn't see her again. I didn't see her after the service. I didn't see her for probably another, it was probably two months later. No idea what that meant. If I freaked her out, she'd never come back to church again. About two months later, after a service, she finds me. She says, the next day I had an appointment with the doctor, I couldn't stop thinking about what you said. In fact, I think I saw her tear, or her eyes start to well up after I said it and was walking up. She said, um, I went in, they did my normal checkup, something wasn't measuring right, or some, I don't know, remember exactly what she said, something wasn't right. She's like, and I started to really like freak out, and I remembered what you said, that God sees me and everything's going to be okay. She said, I had no idea what that meant, but I knew that God knew and God was with me and, and I so desperately needed that in that moment. She said, we had a baby last month and he's perfect. So thank you. Look, friends, 
If you want to grow in faith, it's going to require some risk. She needed that word from the Lord in that moment. And if I had been disobedient, she never would have received it. Why? Because God wanted me to say it to her. Uh, what's my equation? Holiness plus faith times intimacy with God. Times intimacy with God. Intimacy with God is growing, uh, growing depth of relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, this, friends, is what God is truly after more than anything else, okay? God is truly after this. I don't have time to get into it, but if we were to continue on in John, John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. That's what Jesus is after. It's that relationship, that recognition that he's with us, that he wants to engage with us, that he's present in our lives, that we spend time with him in his word, that we're talking to him, asking him what he wants us to do throughout the day, willing to take risks that he asks us to do, even if they sound crazy to us. We trust that what he's up to, intimacy with God, that's the multiplicar, uh, the multiplicar, the multiplier, all right? That's the multiplier, all right? Uh, um, holiness and faith, so, so, so important. But intimacy with God, that's what multiplies those things to actually give us access to the Spirit's power. Jesus had perfect holiness, right? He had perfect faith, and he had perfect intimacy with God. It was something that he developed and continued to work at, all right? We know that when we read about the life of Jesus, but that's why he had the kind of access to God's power that he had. It's so, so important. There's another story I would love to tell you, but I don't have time. What I want you to know with this is it's learning to live with God at the forefront of our mind. This is how we grow in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's how we grow in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look, if your holiness is suspect, okay, if you're living with your boyfriend, girlfriend, and you're saying, oh, well, in God's eyes, we're married. No, dear brother and sister, in God's eyes, you're sinning. If you can't stop looking at pornography, guys, girls, if your sexuality is all over the map, if life is all about greed for you and the next thing and the bigger thing and more money and what you can use it for and what you're actually trying to accomplish, if it's all about how you look, if it's all about the things that you want people to think about you, you're not going to experience all the power that God has. Now, I'm not talking about you being perfect, okay? It's not an issue of perfection. No one has to be perfect for you to actually be able to experience all the power that God has. But you can't just say, hey, I'm cool sitting in sin's lap and think that you're going to experience all that God has for you. I'll be the first to acknowledge I am not perfect. The sins that I listed, you could check boxes in way too many of those for me. But I'm moving towards, I'm not staying comfortable. And so maybe today God is saying, look, you've been too comfortable for too long sitting here. Today is the day that you need to do some business. Maybe it's faith. Maybe you're just like, you know what, man, I like my life. My life is good. I know what I'm going to eat Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning and Thursday morning because it's the same thing and I like it and I don't want things to change. I don't want to take risks. I built this whole thing around what I like and what feels good to me. And you know what? Risk is not something that I want to do. And God is saying, yeah, but you're going to miss out on so much that I have for you. Do you trust my love? Do you trust my love? And God's like, would you please step out? Maybe it's intimacy with God where you're just like, man, I, I, like, I might open the Bible like once every month or two, 
And I do pray before meals, usually when people are here, and I know that they're going to wonder, like, look, God wants us to be in this relationship with him that's growing in depth, like where we're talking to him, just hanging out. Does that sound weird? It sounds weird if you've never done it. But if I said to you, hey, what do you do with your best friend? Well, we hang out, and we laugh, and we talk, and we share dreams, and we hold each other accountable to things that we want to do in life. Like That's what it should be with God. That's what God desires from us. And when we find those things, when we say, not that you're perfect in your holiness, but you're saying, I'm trying to move towards these things that you've called me for, God, and away from these things that you've called me from, okay? I'm working at it. If you say, and I've got my faith over here that I'm adding to my holiness, God, I'm willing to step out. I don't always do it perfectly. God, I'll do it with humility, but God, I'm willing. And then you multiply that by a relationship with God that's just like growing in depth where you interact. Man, friends, I'm telling you, you as an individual begin to experience the power of Holy Spirit the way Jesus did, the way Paul did and Peter did and so many in the early church and so many since that time. That's what I want for you as individuals. But more than that, I want that for our church. Friends, I'm tired of just playing church. I'm tired of just playing Christian or pastor. I want all that the Holy Spirit has for you and for me. Why? Because I'm learning more and more to trust his love. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us. And he wants to see that power moved out. Now, I told you I'd finish with one quick story. Go back to the jet ski. I had literally just bought a jet ski that the engine was toast. I had no way to fix it. I didn't have the muscles I needed to be able to get that stupid engine out of the jet ski itself. I didn't even know what it would take to fix it. I didn't even know what to look for. Looked fine to me. Thankfully, I had a neighbor named Dave. And Dave used to be a mechanic. And Dave works on engines. And Dave doesn't just work on engines. Dave's actually taken apart numerous jet skis and fixed the engines and replaced them. And Dave was my friend. I had lived across the street from Dave for a couple of years at this point. He and I had become buddies. I saw him all the time. And so I told Dave, and I said, Dave, would you help me? And Dave said, absolutely. And so you know what happened? Dave's enormous power took the engine out, diagnosed the problem, told me what we needed to get. We got it. Dave's enormous power put the engine back in, tightened up all the bolts. You know what I did? I handed him stuff. That's what I did, all right? So like, he did 90% of the work. I did 10% of the work, okay? The only reason that the jet ski got fixed was because I had Dave. I partnered with Dave to fix the jet ski. That's what Holy Spirit wants to do with us. You see, way too often we start thinking, well, it's about my effort to be holy. It's about my effort to have faith. It's about my effort to do all the things I need to do to build a relationship. Yes, there is some effort involved. But if you want to experience the Holy Spirit's power and see amazing, beautiful, powerful, miraculous, unbelievable things, it's going to happen when we say, Spirit, I want to partner with you because that's what God wants to do with us. It's going to be like 10%, probably less than that, all right, of you, and 90% of the Spirit. But when you have the Spirit, you've got all the power. The scripture actually says, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. 
Ah, friends, that's good stuff. So here's what I want us to do right now. The band's going to come up. We're going to sing three more worship songs as a way to honor and thank God for what he's done. Um, But what I want you to do right now, and this is for those of you that may be online as well, I want you to do this. Right now, I just want you to think of those three things in the equation. Which one of those three things are you doing pretty good at right now? Okay? And which one of those three things are you like, all right, that one probably needs a little bit more attention, all right? And I want you to tell the person next to you, okay? If you're not close to somebody, just turn around, find somebody, just be like, all right, holiness, faith, intimacy with God, this one I'm doing good at right now, I'm pretty good. Uh, this one probably needs a little bit of attention. Don't go into detail, okay? All right, this isn't a time to like share your darkest sin or your greatest like braggadocio awesomeness. Just what's the one thing, all right? Turn to the person. If you're online, you can drop a little comment in. But go ahead and do that right now. So one of the things that we've been doing um, and are trying to, to, to get better at as a church is just listening to the Spirit. I believe the Spirit wants to speak to us. So last week, I had a gal come up to me after the service, and she just said, um, I just sense Spirit say, like, we might need a space for confession at some point. And I started listening to that this past week, and I was like, all right, Lord, is that what you're saying? Do we need a space for confession? And I felt like there was something there. And so this morning, um, during our time of worship, one of the things we're trying to do is always have space for us to engage with God. And so I actually took out like a whole row of chairs up here just so we'd have a little bit more space. And I just call this like um, more spirit space, okay? And if you've got some business that you need to do, maybe there is something that you need to confess. Maybe there's just something that you've just grown too comfortable with in your life. And it's like, I just need to spend some time confessing it. Uh, Maybe it's that you just... You just want more of the Holy Spirit. This space, and and even right up here, is available. Stay spread out, but come up and just, man, do some business with God. We've got folks that will be praying for you and over you. They won't come up and lay hands on you because, you know, COVID and all, but they will pray for you, and it's available. I'm going to be up here because, man, I don't know about you, but I want more Spirit. I I want access to everything that the Spirit has. I want that for our church. If you feel like God's saying, come and pray for someone in here that you know, come forward and pray for them. More spirit space is open. Can we do that today? You don't have to stay up there the whole time, but come, do some work with God, and, and let's worship him together.